0: Hey everybody uh welcome to the podcast today i am starting a micro series within the podcast uh, where i introduce you to books that i think are beneficial to artists you see there's this thing that um there's this idea that i've had for a while and that idea is to sort of shift how arts how the arts are taught at the university level. So film school, art school, creative writing, MFA programs. I really think that they need to tackle sort of this idea of growing one's emotional intelligence because there's just so many people going into the arts who haven't quite figured out how to comport themselves when faced with rejection when faced with the difficulties of sort of getting themselves out there getting their work out there and we focus so much on craft we focus so much on the business side of it we focus so much on our pitch letters and you know what literary journals to send our stories to um, what film festivals and how to get our work so that it's acceptable by these institutions that we forget about ourselves we forget about well, okay what's this process doing to me mentally is it actually it, it, how is this damaging me and so I want to I want to introduce you to books that I think should be sort of almost like general education textbooks 101 like these are the things that I think art school should start with because you know the art life is more than just craft it's more than just you know, trying to get an edge business-wise, you really got to take care of yourselves. It's so easy to lose sight. And so the first in this micro-series is the book 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do by author Amy Morin. And I have Amy here on the podcast today. So let's get started. Hello. Hello. Hey, Eric. How's it going? Good. How about you? Good. Yeah. uh, uh, I haven't woken up this early since April.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate you getting up for this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know the stakes are high now, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. I um, you know, I I like to sleep in too, and I just started working it um, very well. And, uh, they start at nine in the morning and I have to say, it was quite an adjustment when I first started working there. Cause I was all awesome. Good. So we log in at 9am every day. And some of these people, they're like all dressed up and ready to go at 9am for their zoom calls. And I'm like, yeah, I don't <laughs> promise my hair is going to be combed, but I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> yeah. I had a, um, I've, I've been talking with this nutritionist through zoom, uh, fascinating, uh, set of meetings but i always feel like i have to like shower before and it's such a it's so weird because they're probably not even paying attention what's, right. what's on the screen
1: uh, my trick is i just use my old um my old laptop where the camera's really grainy so <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's not a bad idea
1: <laughs> yep strange world we live in now isn't it
0: <laughs> oh yeah. yeah i i honestly like i couldn't have predicted i was thinking about like kind of growing up and and what we had and didn't have and i just i don't know i just couldn't have predicted this idea of a smartphone let alone just video communications even though science fiction stories always told us video communications was inevitable
1: yeah yeah no i agree so weird
0: <laughs> um yeah well thanks for coming on here uh we are sure, live uh <laughs> Um, All right. so I, I you know the reason I reached out was because um, th- there's this idea I have and 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 it it's an epic idea and it involves kind of retooling how film art and creative writing is taught in schools where a huge part of that would be to also teach emotional intelligence and how to grow emotional intelligence. And I think that books like yours would be beneficial to artists who are just starting out uh, because it it really takes an enormous amount of emotional intelligence to kind of not only stay in this sort of life, but, to even be remotely successful at it, because it's such a uh, an unpredictable, grueling lifestyle. You know the arts, uh, right? And uh, this idea of mentally strong things people don't do—it's uh, it, remarkable to me that this isn't like a staple, almost like a general education requirement in art school. And so, I wanted to talk to you about some of the points in this book because. My podcast uh is is mostly geared towards people who are per, who are interested in pursuing the art life but it's also you know partially me just ranting but mostly people people who are interested in pursuing the art life and don't know where to start and some of it's incredibly practical technical stuff some some of it's just ideas on how to pursue clients but this is something that I think could even be the most beneficial for a lot of people because they're not thinking about how thick their skin has to be.
1: I completely agree. Uh, And thank you for all those kind words about my work. Uh, But, you know, even if I hadn't written the book, if I came across this material, uh, I would would agree as well. And as a therapist, when I was still working in a regular day job, I mean, so many people who would come into my office – Lack some pretty basic skills. And so, no matter how successful they were, or no matter how good things were in their lives, they were just struggling. And it's not their fault. It's that we don't teach these things at a younger age. And it's one of the reasons why I wrote a kids' book. My next book, actually, that comes out in April, is geared towards kids. Because I think if we can start teaching these skills to people at a younger age, they'll dare to try to live their dreams. And then when they fail, they won't conclude well gee I wasn't good at this they'll try again or when they make a mistake they'll know that it's not the end of the world and you can learn from those mistakes and so I really want young people to learn about persistence and perseverance and how do you deal with anxiety and how do you manage your struggles in a, in a healthy way because nobody's talking about it and I think we're now that the pandemic has hit I think it's becoming more mainstream to talk about mental health and our coping strategies For a lot of people are everyday coping skills were taken away from us. We couldn't go to the gym or we couldn't have coffee with friends. So we're figuring out, well, what else do I have? And for a lot of people, it was not much. And so, I mean, that's why we're seeing alcohol rates skyrocket right now. And we're uh, hearing from so many people who say, I can't stop eating because they're struggling to figure out how else do I cope with my
0: feelings? Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense to me. Um, You know, there's, I'm not going to go through everything in the book, but I do kind of want to like peruse it and, and kind of pull out the stuff that I think we could start with. Um, you know, there's this one part that I think is, it really just like taps into where many artists seem to go when, once they've started working or practicing and, uh, that's this idea of resenting their peers' success, <laughs> success of their peers. And you got a chapter, chapter nine, they don't resent other people's success. That's what, you know, one of the 13 things mentally strong people don't do is they don't resent other people's success. And so uh, I wanted to start with that because that's the major problem I see for the most part with a lot of uh, people in the arts. But it also really goes into sort of the main sort of the main idea i've been promoting um in terms of like best ways artists can actually promote themselves is to support other artists and so this idea of uh avoiding resentment because somebody has success that i it's it's almost like i don't know it's just it's one of those things where, like, oh, somebody has written about it. It's just not going into the hands of the people that, as of yet, the people that I think that should be getting it first. And that's, of course, people in film school.
1: Yeah. So, I, you know, I don't know a lot about filmmakers in general. But in learning more about the arts, as I became an author and I learned what it's like in the, in the writing world. And uh, now that I launched my own podcast and my producer gets me lots of guests in the music industry, I see what it's like for musicians and producers who work in music. And there is so much competition and people tend to think that their competition is somebody else. If somebody else succeeds, somehow that takes it away from me or it's evidence that I'm not good enough or that should have been me or they don't deserve to be there because either they're a bad person or they don't work as hard as I do. And I've seen it a lot where people tend to take their eyes off of what they're working on and they just really start focusing more on what other people are doing and they're angry, they're bitter, they get frustrated and it really can change how they feel about themselves. They start to think, well, I'm not good enough. If that person succeeds, then it means I wasn't good enough to succeed. Or they tend to look for reasons to, you know, tear the other person down, which we all do in life sometimes. And we see somebody who's successful, we tend to think, well, that person isn't as good as I am. Or here are the three reasons why this person shouldn't be there. And it gives us like a moment of temporary relief. But ultimately, it makes us feel worse in the end. And, and to know that just because someone else is successful, it doesn't take away your success, that it's okay for somebody else to succeed. And it doesn't mean that you aren't doing as well. And I like to think of it this way. If you were a student and you got a C on a paper, the way that you would feel about that C would probably be highly dependent on how the rest of the class did. If your teacher said, well, you got a C, but everybody else got an A, you might feel really bad about that C. But if you got a C and the teacher said, you're actually the only one who passed the test, everybody else got an F, suddenly that C seems like it's a really good grade. (laughs) And When it comes to like anything in the arts, you know, it's subjective. It's all about figuring out, well, what's your purpose? And is your purpose, what does success look like to you? Is it really about getting an award or an achievement? You can't control that. You can't control who gets picked for an award, but you can control how much effort and energy you put into a project.
0: Yeah. Then that makes total sense. Um, I, I, I almost think that with artists, especially filmmakers and writers, um, the 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 problem is rooted in the story that they think they have to have. So, like with a lot of filmmakers, it's oh, I have to go to this festival. I have to get. I have to go to one of these five festivals because these are the five top festivals, and I get one of the awards. But it has to be one of these top five awards because all the people I I modeling myself after also got those awards, and, and this is a very real problem. Uh, and uh, it, it, and yeah, you know, it's no it's no wonder so many. Filmmakers born after 1980 aren't really at this. Nobody's really ever gotten to the status in terms of like actual industry success as the baby boomer generation. And I think it's rooted in, in sort of this idea that th- this story that you have to, you have to do it a certain way. And if you don't do it a certain way and your peers do it a certain way, Then almost what 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 are you worth because you didn't have that same story, that kind of idea. And and I think it is rooted in this.
1: Yeah. And I guess if we're talking about people born, you know, 1980 and over, (laughs) we're looking at people who, as they became into the working world, the Internet was invented and then social media. And it became much easier to know what everybody else is doing all the time. Right.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes.
1: Whereas in past generations, you know, you didn't necessarily know what everybody was doing unless they were on the big stage and they won a big award. But even then, it wasn't in your face all the time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I haven't gotten around to it, but there's apparently now a documentary on Netflix about social media and the damage that it's been doing. Um,
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You
0: heard about that? Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to hit that up.
1: Yeah, it's good. It, It really sort of. Just shows you exactly what it does to your brain and why we keep going back to it, even though there's a part of us that knows it isn't good for us, yet we keep checking it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things where like, so I've been waiting for my phone to upgrade for like the past two months. I've had it on order because I can't have any social media on it. My old phone is just so too old. It's too old now. I can't even put the Facebook app on it and it's creating me so much anxiety
1: interesting right and we get so sort of like it's this passive thing that we do whenever we're bored you're in line and you're waiting for something you're in a uh, an office waiting for an appointment you check it You're you know commercial comes on tv and we don't even necessarily we aren't even aware that we're doing it it's just become such a habit for most of us and it's not to say social media is bad or a technology is damaging us. It's just about how we choose to use it and just becoming more aware. And so I know some people who delete their apps on purpose because they say, if it's on my phone and I get alerts, I can't not check it. So they just delete their apps. Or other people who say, you know, I only check at certain hours during the day. And I think trying to come up with some rules for ourselves that are realistic could be really good for us, but it's hard to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, can I ask you a question? Why, why do people expect immediate results typically?
1: I think uh, we, part of it is the world that we live in. You know, if you want to order something on Amazon, you can get it in 24 hours or sometimes two hours, depending on where you live or when we want things these days, we want it fast. And I think it's partly because our digital world makes things happen right away when, you and I grew up, we couldn't just Google something every second when we wanted an answer. You had to go digging for it if you really wanted it. But the world's changed. If you want things now, for the most part, you'll get it fast. And because of that, we expect everything to happen fast. We think that our if we're gonna get healthier, that should happen overnight. or we think if we're gonna combat our depression or treat our anxiety that if we're not seeing results in a week, it must not be working. And it was something I would see in my therapy office a lot that people would come in and say, this isn't working. I need something else. (laughs) And, you know, they wanted a pill, a magic wand, something. And I get it. Nobody likes to suffer. We don't want to go through hard times. But it's a lot of our changes in life, the ones that really matter the most take the longest. And you really have to know how to stick to it and be willing to put in the hard work to get there. And of course it feels good when we see some kind of results because it motivates us to keep going. And sometimes things don't always go in a straight line. They get a little bit worse before they get better. And if we see something that's not, it's not getting better. Like you start working out at the gym, you see results in the first two weeks and then by week three, your progress slows a little or you gain a couple pounds or you didn't run that mile as fast as you did last week. Suddenly we think, well, this didn't work and we're more tempted than ever to throw in the towel.
0: Yeah, I found that that's the case with um, me right now with my nutritionist because um, she's got me doing this thing based on not any kind of strange diet. It's based on more chemistry. So I'm supposed to have a measured amount of carbs with a measured amount of proteins with everything, uh, you know, and I lost like 10 pounds in the first two weeks but then it slowed and then it slightly reversed, but then it's, it kept going, but at a slower pace and man, it can be really excruciating just to have to sit here and, and wait for it to actually happen.
1: <laughs> I can imagine that's a, that's a great example of, of how hard that must be because we want to know, is this working? And yeah, I see it with people who say, try a medication, somebody who says, okay, I'm going to try a pill for depression. Well, doesn't kick in instantly some of them take four to six weeks and i totally understand the frustration you wait six weeks and then it's still like it happened kind of gradual so sometimes people are like i can't really tell if it's working so then the question is do you up the dose do you try a different medication these things are tough and figuring out how do i cope in the meantime uh becomes a much better strategy than trying to figure out you know how do i keep changing plans so sometimes we we keep switching things up way too fast and we try 17 different things you know you might be tempted to say i'm going to try a different diet plan i'm going to try something else i'm going to hire a different nutritionist and the more we keep changing things up like that the, the harder it is to even know if what we're doing is working um so it becomes about th- thinking how do i cope with the anxiety how do i cope with the disappointment i'm experiencing how do i make sure that i stay the course, despite the fact that I'm not all that motivated at the moment or because I'm not seeing success, that becomes really hard to then say, how am I going to do this all day again today?
0: Yeah, Um, totally. Uh, This is really hitting a core. So uh, the first chapter. Of your book, uh, which you were kind enough to send me, um, and you even autographed it, and and also you you made a notation about my cats, and I really appreciated that. Um, which
1: I I heard your <laughs> cats a couple minutes ago. So
0: <laughs> yes. So Jan is trying to keep them from being quiet, so she's constantly letting them in and out of the bedroom <laughs> as quietly as she possibly can, but. All right, my listeners are very used to hearing them because there's Excellent. eight in a small one bedroom New York City apartment <laughs> and so it's it's bound to be part of the show. Um, so you know what I I was thinking about how to approach this idea of people don't waste time feeling sorry for themselves and I'm actually become interested. I don't know if this is really something you've thought about but what I'm thinking about is how the hell did humans evolve to even be able to feel sorry for themselves? Cause it doesn't seem like it, it could work it to our benefit in the jungle or whatever, you know, uh, uh, do you ever think about that?
1: You know, I, now that you bring that up, like that's a good <laughs> point, right? Like, our ancestors weren't like sitting around moping for three days because they didn't kill the lion or something. They just had to get back up and get back to work. It wasn't really an option to sit around and, and throw yourself a pity party. You didn't have time for that stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that term pity party.
1: But uh, I think, in, you know, in our world today, although things have gotten, quote unquote, easier, on one hand, you know we're dealing with different kinds of stress and different sorts of problems that you know we probably haven't evolved to deal with. So, looking at other people who get awards, they get recognition, they get success, uh, causes us to then again, it like we said before, it changes the story you tell about yourself. It can cause you to start thinking, "I'm not good enough," and all of those kinds of thoughts just fuel, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's okay to sit around and, and feel this way because. Uh, you know, the world's been unfair. And out of all of the chapters in the book, this is the one that I think I get the most angry responses to. And usually <laughs> when people are angry about this chapter, it's it's because they've confused sadness with self-pity and that it's okay to be sad. When something doesn't go well, when you're grieving something or you're missing somebody or you've gone through tough times, by all means, be sad. But just don't cross the line into self-pity. Self-pity is when you start to think that you know, your life is so bad, it will never get better, or that your problems are so big, there's nothing anybody can ever do about it. It's when you become helpless and hopeless, and you and you give up. And all of us have probably been there at some point where we think, this is never going to work out, I'm never going to be able to do this, I'm never going to be able to be successful. And you have times yeah. like that. But for some people, it almost becomes a way of life.
0: I would almost liken it to like, su- this, this idea of First world problems versus, oh shit! My grandmother just died. You could, you should be very sad that your grandmother just died, but maybe your first world problems aren't as big of a deal as you think they are. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I took that chapter. Um,
1: uh, absolutely, because sometimes we think, you know, if I uh, get stuck at a red light and it makes me three minutes late for work, it's because the universe is trying to punish me. <laughs> And then we get into this whole inner monologue about how awful the world is and how unfair it is and how our lives are, are not good. And then you stop and you think, I'm going to a, a job that pays me money. Like, my life's not that bad. <laughs> do,
0: do you find that um, – Do you find a lot of people – um You know now now that you've talked about people responding to various chapters it never occurred to me that of course you would get emails and whatever about the various content um how much do people respond to this idea of um well they shouldn't please everyone is that a major problem
1: for a lot of people it is some people uh, i've never had that problem but I do get a fair amount of emails from people who say it's just kind of ingrained in me. It's something I've always done, and I don't know how to get rid of it. And I'd say slightly more women than men, but I get a fair amount of men, too, who say, I just just can't help it. I don't want somebody to be mad at me, or I struggle to express my ideas or my opinions. And often it kind of goes back to childhood where somebody maybe got praised a lot for being a good kid or for being a nice person. And I see it in people, too, who who they just don't want to be seen as selfish or they don't want to be seen as somebody who's not generous. And so they think that by saying yes to everything, that will make them be accepted and they'll be liked and they'll be proving to others that they are generous. But they forget that they really lose sight of their values and who they are along the way.
0: Yeah, uh, you know so true and i you know i think the reason one of you know this everything about this resonates with me so much um i even love that in this you you pull out richard branson as an example cuz i i don't know if you knew this but one of my first jobs in new york city when i moved here like i did this cold remove from the state of maine and came here without family without friends without adequate financial resources and rooted myself here with almost nothing. And one of my first jobs was working with for Richard Branson uh, with the U.S. side of the Virgin Entertainment Group.
1: I did not know that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so his story has always resonated with me. Uh, be, and every, pretty much everything you sum- summarize in this chapter um, about taking calculated risks uh, really... I mean, that story is something I leaned heavily on when I, in, in my first 10 years here. And I, I don't have this book anymore, but he was my first sort of nonfiction book where like I, that I read that I really honored and um, treasured. And so I don't know, it's just there's all these little things that keep popping up in this book where I'm just like, oh, my God, yes. And then I'd go a few more pages and I'd be like, Oh my gosh. Yes. I can't imagine what the other vari- variants are, are like. Uh, if this is this good. And so, you know, uh, I, I, I definitely, I think this is going to be the start of a, a, a micro series within this, where I just kind of delve a little bit into various books that I think would be good textbooks for artists uh, and and I really uh, I, I won't go down the whole list of other books that I think that should be involved in this because um, it's your podcast, it's your episode. Um, what's, but I'm, what's I'm curious
1: <laughs> you know a couple of them'll t- I'll tell
0: you one, but I, I, I just but before we segue, I, I, I do I am interested because in I saw that you have one on kids coming out. I saw it on the Goodreads on your Goodreads uh, profile. I guess it's a profile. Uh, and I was wondering what what whats the, what the difference would be between like mentally strong people and mentally strong kids. Like what are some of the content differences?
1: So a lot of it is based on uh, it'll help kids grow up to not do the 13 things mentally strong people don't do. Uh, so they can avoid those if we can give them the skills earlier. So for instance, you know, I want kids to know how do you deal with really big feelings like sadness in a healthy way? And then you don't grow up to uh, end up feeling sorry for yourself when something doesn't go your way. And this one, uh, whereas all of my other books about about what not to do, this one is about what to do. Because my hope is if we can teach young kids now, here's what to do. It's written for the 8 to 12-year-old market But if we teach them these positive skills, these things that you can do, the stories you tell yourself, how to talk to yourself when you get rejected or what to do when somebody's mean to you, if they know those skills now, they won't grow up to say, resent somebody else's success.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, I was talking to when we were trying to, Come up with the concept for the book too. I was talking to my niece, and she said, "Yeah, kids don't really like being told what not to do. We get enough of that from our parents." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, you're right.
0: but <laughs> so yeah going to be a that, book about what to do." That's exactly what I was thinking. Is just simply the fact that you're using positive reinforcement and the title and the language makes a huge difference. And uh, it, and, it, and it's just like, well, adults adults get the don't do, children get the do. <laughs> Here's what you Yeah, do. That.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, you know, because we didn't get this as kids, you know, we didn't talk about feelings that much or uh, when we did, it was more about, I don't know, don't be mad or don't be upset about this. We didn't say, Hey, it's okay to be angry, but here's what you do with angry feelings. It depends what you do with those emotions that matters. It doesn't matter that you feel angry. That's fine. But if yeah. you hit somebody hitting is bad, it's not being angry is bad. And so I wanted this book to really just help kids figure that out. And there was such a push, I think, in the 80s about self-esteem in the 90s that you had to have really high self-esteem. But yet we didn't really give people skills to so they could feel good about themselves. We just praised the heck out of them. You're the fastest kid in a whole school. Well, no, you're probably not. Or even if you are, that's not the only <laughs> good thing about you. So let's figure out what else is good.
0: What a difference it would have made, though, It had they actually said, it's okay to be angry, but here's what you do with it. Yeah. I just, I'd never heard that spoken by an adult until after the, you know, after the late 2000s. And it's just like, how much bullying could have been dealt with? Right. Just by parents teaching their kids that. Or, uh, and, and the self esteem t- thing too. Um, yeah, I think that I grew up being told self esteem, but not being told how to deal with self esteem. <laughs> how to grow it, how to nurture right. it. But then also uh, the dare campaign that Barbara Bush <laughs> was, <laughs> was promoting. Uh, I remember that very well as well. Those, those were the two things I grew up with.
1: Me too. And even, funnily enough, like, I don't know if you know this or not, but dare actually, they think now increased uh, the amount of drugs that our generation used.
0: I, because... I, I believe it. You know, I remember I was at King middle school in Portland, Maine. We're both from Maine. I was at King Middle School in Portland, Maine, and this Portland police officer comes in and dumps a bag of cocaine, a bag of weed, and a bag of um, something else, and plus a bunch of needles on the table. He's like, these are drugs, and you shouldn't do it. And I'm like, whoa, that looks really cool. Look at all those needles. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and and I- <laughs> that's, that's exactly what they found in the research was you, know, you t- tell all these sixth grade kids about all these drugs and they aren't even thinking I mean most sixth graders aren't thinking about cocaine yet but we told them all about cocaine and all these other drugs and almost made it sound cool and (laughs) glamorized it in a way that encouraged them to use it so that's my honestly sidebar of dare
0: (laughs) I, I I you know I um we we always had those kids in school who would like skip school go across the street into Daring Oaks Park and just start doing drugs and I almost like think the timeline matches like maybe they came in and then in my head a month later these guys started skipping school because they figured out how to get this stuff or something
1: (laughs) awesome huh (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: um well uh i know that you had a, a hard out very soon coming up here in about uh 14 minutes but um Steve wanted me to let you know that he's looking forward to hearing this.
1: <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, he, he's
0: like, how are you doing? Are you talking to Amy? Have you got this yet? Uh, so uh, we have somebody who's rooting for this episode already.
1: Awesome. Glad to hear it.
0: And uh, yeah, I uh, man, I can't wait to get the band back together after the vaccine ship.
1: Right. I, uh, I've. I've, been
0: so, I, I've <laughs> rarely go into manhattan and see anybody anymore and um you know uh i I actually i hope to do something with steve as well i want to do a recurring series and since we both know steve steve cohen for those of you don't know is a a podcast producer and a tv producer and he's just a a a really cool guy and i want to do this episode this series of episodes with him called shooting the shit with steve what do you think of that
1: I think that's awesome. <laughs> you know, he, with it, between his quotes and his riddles and his uh, questions that he, I'm sure he will ask and the things he has to say, I just love listening to his wisdom. So I think that's a brilliant idea. I would definitely listen to you guys.
0: All right. Cool. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, um, I'll let you. Oh, you know what? We got, we got a couple minutes. So what, what is it like? This will be my, I promise this will be my last question. And uh, what is it like for you to live on a sailboat? Because a lot of, (laughs) I don't know if any of my listeners know this. You live on a sailboat full time now, right?
1: I do. And it's not just because of the pandemic. It's I've been here for five years. So um, in the Florida Keys, because I too was in Maine and I got cold and I thought, what am I doing here? Once I became a, once I gave up my day job as a therapist and I became an author, I had some flexibility and I thought. Wait, why would I sit here in the winter? It was like February. The snow was up over the window, and I'm like, "Why? Why am I doing this?" It's dark at four o'clock, you know. So I mm. thought, "Let's do something else." And my husband's dream since he was four years old was to live on a sailboat. It was never my dream. I didn't even really know people lived on sailboats, but I thought, "Well, whatever. Let's give it a try." And. So even though he'd been sort of planning this since he was four, I basically within a matter of a couple of months said, all right, let's do this. And uh, so we bought a sailboat slip, which um, down in the Florida Keys. So I'm not like bobbing around in the ocean for the most part. I'm tied to a dock, but uh, it's pretty cool. We bought the original boat that we bought. We don't live in anymore, um, but he bought it just thinking it would last like six months at the most that I would be here because he thought, I'm not sure you're going to like this. But here I am five years later. And uh, so Ur- Hurricane Irma came through a few years ago and damaged a lot of boats. Our The, boat, the first boat that we lived in got uh, damaged uh, a fair amount. But it also then meant that the boats that survived, a lot of people said, I don't want to be in sailboat life anymore. I don't want to be a boater. So they uh, were selling their boats. So that allowed us to move up in boat. And we bought a 53-foot sailboat and uh, I love it. Uh, it's different in so many ways, but it's simple. I moved yeah. here with a, a suitcase full of clothes and a laptop. And I thought, oh, life's much easier when you don't really have to worry about stuff, when you don't have to worry about uh, a lot of the things that you have to worry about when you live in a house. And granted, sailboats aren't always easy. There's certain problems and strange issues that you run into. I had a, a octopus clog my air conditioner filter about, I don't know, two weeks ago. So that's a problem I wouldn't have to deal with if I still lived in my house in Maine. However, it sure beats uh, shoveling snow. So, so I'll take it, but I I get to see manatees and dolphins and lots of really cool stuff that I wouldn't experience if I were still living in Maine.
0: Yeah. I've never even seen a dolphin in my, in real life. So that's really fascinating. Uh, What, so when a hurricane is sweeping in, do you have to go to a hotel or do you stay on the boat?
1: Yeah, so I will not stay on my boat in a hurricane. Um, I I know people who do, but for me, no way. And so I wasn't here for Irma. Uh, I was back in Maine, actually, during that period. And so I just watched on the news and hoped for the best. But uh, we had this, so this winter this summer we had, I never know what month it is or what season it is since I'm from Maine and down here, the weather's pretty much constant. So I'm always like, is it summer or winter (laughs) in Maine, you know, quickly whether it's summer or winter, but uh, we had a bunch of tropical storms that came through for the most part. They all missed us. We had one that was forecast to become a hurricane just recently, actually. So I did go to a hotel that night. It turned out to be fine, but for the most part, uh, I'm not interested in being on the boat when it's super windy and wavy and rough.
0: Yeah, so that paints a, a, a better picture. Uh, I, was, I was always curious what that looked like. Um, so I guess that's it. Um, thank you for coming on the show. I really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, like, you don't even know. Um, I'm so inspired by this that I got up early. Uh, I, I set up all my equipment late last night. Um, really, really happy with this. Can, and, I,
1: uh, can sure. I ask you one question? Yeah. That I am... Super curious to know what your thoughts are. So I'm a therapist in the mental health space. Obviously, I like it when people want to get their depression better when they want to treat their anxiety. People in the arts. I hear this all the time. So I really want to know what your thoughts are on this. People in the arts will tell me that their depression helps them do better or their anxiety fuels their creativity and they don't want to get better. I mean, there's a part of them that does because they want to be happier. They want to be calmer. But then there's another part of them that says, but if I get this treated or I start to feel better, I won't be as creative anymore. I want to know what's your thoughts on that.
0: It's half true. So okay. um, I know that if, you know, I know where a lot of my depression, anxiety and just sort of being miserable as an artist is rooted in my childhood mm-hmm. and i i know I know that there's part of me who loves the fact that I was able to lean heavily on the arts rather than destroying my life with drugs uh because it's usually one or the other with you know in this with the the various stories that, you know um there are a lot more people i you know I remember growing up with that leaned in on drugs and then they ended up working in insurance and I'm glad that's not me right um at the same time, there's a part of me who would trade up some of the stuff that I had to grow up with, and and have a, sort of a better brain than I, you know, I felt like I have, you know, I, I came into the world very unprepared for it, in a lot of ways, not just um, in terms of education, but also mentally, I had to learn how to, grow grow a thicker skin. I had to learn how to control sort of. My emotions, my outbursts, my why the, you know, it was all my, my, my go-to reaction to almost anything is how the fuck can't people see what I'm trying to do is awesome. Mm -hmm. I don't get it. And it used to just keep me up at night that, but I don't know, half of me would trade up all of this to kind of be healthier mentally. To to say, hey, well, I didn't have to deal with having um, a creepy grandfather who macked on uh, a, one of my siblings, or uh, I, you know, or I, I wouldn't, you know, I would trade up a huge part of this talent that I've forced myself to develop. It's it's and it really is a thing where I developed all of this craft just to kind of find a way to deal with. The bullying, I mean, I was bullied badly um, by some people who went on to, unfortunately, be published authors, shouldn't have been. Uh, and then, um, but then also coming up in a community that didn't respect difference. It was almost like if you weren't a product of your environment, you weren't worth anything to the community, that kind of community. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just like, yeah, half of me would trade up all of that to be a little bit healthier mentally and physically, but at the same time, I know that I'm turning out work that I think will resonate with people like me, maybe younger people who didn't quite have access to a lot of the art and a lot of the, um, sort of behind the creation commentary on what, what art is and how to interpret art and, uh, I'm hoping now that my work can sort of reach out to to people like me, obviously. Uh, And I don't know. It's, yeah, it's really, it's 50, 50. Uh, I don't romanticize depression. I don't, I think we really need to lean hard on solving the depression issue and making it less of a, a taboo in society. I, I, you know, some years back in like twenty fourteen, the summer twenty fourteen, I actually worked on a sloop, forty a foot sloop in New York Harbor, um, as a deckhand and an s- occasional fashion photographer. <laughs> uh, it yeah. was a weird, it was a weird setup, but um, I remember my first day with these people. The wife of the captain of the of the sailboat was like, "Oh my god, are you depressed?" Because just kind of the way I talked in the way I talked about especially film and media and fashion. Because uh, I had been let down by a lot of clients at that point. And I'm like, what kind of question is that? What? Why ask it like that, too? Like, she asked it with such resentment and annoyance. You know, and I was just like, I denied it. But I was. Like, she called me out on it. And I don't romanticize that. I I, I would have rather not had that and not produced the work that came from that. Uh, And I know exactly what specific works I produced that came from that depression, that era. um, And it's just, yeah, I, it's 50, 50. Like I know that I'm able to use it. That's fine. But a huge part of me would totally give it up if it meant just kind of being healthier all around.
1: Interesting. Interesting answer. Thank you. It's something I'm just so curious about because I hear it from so many people in not in the art world and I, I hear their struggle about, you know, whether or not to to treat their depression or their anxiety just because there is that fear of I won't be able to be as creative. So I Honestly, like I think that, that
0: they're, they 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 they've built their lives in a way where that's what that's familiar to them and so that's what they don't want to lose. You know, we we like what's yeah. familiar. We don't like change as you know.
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: <laughs> so Okay, so your heart out is pretty much now. So I guess that's it. Uh, thank you very much. I love your podcast. I'm going to put links to your podcast, uh, in the description. And I'm also going to put links to your books in the description so people can find you.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Eric.
0: Thank you. Bye.
1: All right.
0: Bye. Hey everybody. So that was Amy Morin. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so she has a she has her own podcast if you want to listen to her. Uh and I highly recommend it. It's called Mentally Strong People with Amy Morin. And uh the link is in the description. She's also got her website, link in the description. I'll put also links to her books. Well, I'll put a link to her Goodreads so you can see all of the books that she has on there. And uh, you can link to various bookstores and Amazon through Goodreads. Um Drive some traffic to Goodreads. You can also follow her on social media. She's on Twitter. Um, Thank you, everybody, and uh, I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.